You know, I'm always a big fan of the micro win. I think clearing one surface or one drawer or one shelf or even your purse or your wallet, if you want to get really micro. I always say to people like, it's a lot of small wins that create massive transformation. Okay, people, you are about to meet one of my favorite new friends. You know, every year we pick up some new friends. This woman is my new favorite friend of 2023. Her name is Shira Gill. She is based in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's a globally recognized home organizing expert and lifestyle creator with a less is more philosophy. Over the past decade, Shira has helped thousands of people around the world reduce clutter and create more space for what matters. Shira's work centers around the intimate relationship between people's homes and lives and how they inform and inspire each other. She is author of Minimalista, which is literally sitting on my coffee table. It's amazing. And Organized Living, which is about to come out. Shira has been featured in Vogue, Dwell, Better Homes and Gardens, House Beautiful, Architectural Digest, Domino, Forbes, Goop, Harper's Bazaar, HGTV, Today, InStyle, Parents, Real Symbol, and the New York Freaking Times. You can find Shira at her website, shiragill.com, or at Instagram. Immediately, you need to follow Shira on Instagram. It's at Shira Gill, G-I-L-L. Welcome, beloved. Oh my gosh, that was the kindest intro. And I'm <laughs> so honored to be one of your new favorite friends. You are certainly one of mine. You absolutely are. It's so funny, Shira, and maybe this is part of a larger phenomenon that you've observed, but I am one of those people who, when I get stressed out, I love looking at images of minimalist, beautiful desks, homes, spaces. And so when I got to meet you, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm meeting a guru who's also just the most down-to-earth person. What is it about us humans Some of us really just need minimalism and images of minimalism in our lives. Like, what do you make of that? Well, I think when we think about modern life right now, there's so much coming at us all the time. Technology and news feeds and apps and notifications and our overbooked, overstretched calendars. And so I know for me, I also have a mind that kind of runs a mile a minute and rarely shuts down. So I just realized early on, I need my physical environment to be very calming because my brain is not. (laughs) That is such a great way of putting it. Yeah. So it's like, what can we strip away? Because Mm -hmm. I think of it as like, everything is stimulating. Everything we see our brains have to process, right? And so the more physical things we're staring at, the more our brain has to work, even if it's unconsciously working. So for me, sitting in like a very minimal pared down bedroom or office, it allows my brain a chance to kind of exhale and breathe. That is so, so right. And you know, what's funny. I don't know if you feel like this, but I definitely feel like this. I don't even have a lot of photographs in my house of humans' faces, even my own children. And like, I have barely any photographs because I find that too stimulating. Yeah. Like, is that I, a thing? I, my kids are like, mom, do you love us? <laughs> oh my God, Shira, I feel so seen that it's, I've literally had that conversation with my kids. Like, yeah, where all everybody else's house has all these faces. I'm like, I do not need more faces looking yeah. at me with I the weight of their much. expectations. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Yes. Trust that I love my kids very much, but we have only a handful. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Framed and up. So you write Minimalista, which by the way, that's an absolutely gorgeous coffee table book that has become like a touchstone for me in my living room as I'm sipping my coffee. Just knowing that book is there makes me feel calmer. But I read that book like it was a novel, page by page, bit by bit. I did all of the exercises and I thought to myself, how could you do anything better than what you already did? And then you sent me the PDF of the new book. So (laughs) what I want to do is start by asking you, where did you get the idea for the new book? So my first book for people that are not familiar with me at all, I was a professional organizer for now it's been nearly 14 years So in people's homes, hands-on, combing through this stuff, helping people make decisions. And after over a decade of doing this, I just wanted to download everything I had learned about how to edit and organize and style your home for the life you want. So that is my book, Minimalista, which is all about my systems, my philosophy rooted in minimalism. Then I hadn't even published that book and I was taking a walk. And this is kind of a note on creativity, I think. For me, I mean, creativity is such a mysterious force, but for me, I've noticed I always have light bulb moments when I'm in movement. And so I take a solo walk every morning and I was on one of these solo walks and I had recently been to one of my colleagues' homes. And I am in this kind of funny little bubble where I'm friends with a lot of professional organizers. <laughs> I am in the homes of the most organized people in the world, right? And I'm kind of a nosy person. And so I always go and I'm like, could I see your medicine cabinet? Or could we look under your kitchen sink? Like, I want to see how the sausage is made here. <laughs> yes. So I'm on this walk and I'm thinking I had just been over to a few friends' houses where I had just picked up little tips and hacks that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a book that featured the real life homes of the most organized professionals in the world? And so I had this thought just kind of flicker in my brain and I almost just like, that was it. But some little voice was like, well, maybe just tell your literary agent that you had this thought. (laughs) And I really almost didn't because it seemed so silly and trivial when I had it. I was just like, oh yeah, that would be fun. And then the next time I was on the phone with my agent who's in London, Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I just had this kind of funny idea. And she said instantly, oh yeah, we have to do that. So it was kind of this bizarre thing where I wasn't planning on writing a second book. I was like, I put every thought in my brain in my first book. Like I have no more thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, they're all good. You got it all. (laughs) Yeah. So she said, yeah, let's figure this out. And so I did have a number of colleagues, mainly who were in California where I live. And we realized we wanted every type of diversity in this book. So we wanted minimalists. We wanted maximalists. We wanted single moms. We wanted huge families in the suburbs, tiny studio apartments. So I did like a casting call for this book on my (laughs) Instagram and I got submissions from places I had never heard of, you know? Oh my God. Kind of wild. And this was during pretty peak COVID. So there were actually places that I would have died to go, but like at the time Australia was closed and Tokyo was closed. And so the book has a ton of incredible places like Mexico City and Paris 
Dot com. But yeah, I feel like I could do three more of these books with places around the world. (laughs) Well, that's actually such a fascinating... I didn't know that, Shira. As I was reading it, I thought you were roaming each home in person because the number one, the photography is freaking gorgeous. Like I love... Whoever you take around with you to capture, maybe it's you that's a photographer, I don't know. No, no, it's Vivian Johnson, who is my ride or die. And we did travel to every home in the book together. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, but the casting call was during COVID. Because I was going to say, it's so intimate. That makes more sense. You write it because that way, because that is what you were doing. You were in their homes. But what I found so fascinating was even with the professional organizers, the most organized people, whether they were maximalist, minimalist, studio in New York or farmhouse, everybody has a place that's kind of a shit show. The secret corner that isn't perfect. Yes. And yes. And that's so reassuring because I think we use that sometimes as a crutch and as an excuse not to just at least begin. It's like, oh, those people, they're so perfect. I'm not perfect. No, no, no. Everybody's got their one drawer, one room that isn't sorted, but it doesn't keep them from taking bites at it every day. And by the end, they have these beautiful homes. What is your thought on that? Yeah. I mean, it was so interesting because we were going to these real homes, just me and my photographer. So there was no stylist. There was no van full of props. We were literally showing up to people's homes. Show us as you are. (laughs) And so some people would have kids running through from school or the dog walker would show up to get the dog. And I feel like we really got an actual slice of these people's lives. And people were really honest. There were people that were like, you can't go in my garage. I thought, <laughs> you know, what goes on there? But yeah. I think what's interesting is because everyone in the book is a home organizing expert of some yeah. variety, everyone knew that they had the skill. And so they had the confidence of knowing mm-hmm. things can become a shit show, but I always have the capacity to put it back. And it doesn't mean anything bad about me when my house is out of order. It just means like I'm living life. That is so huge because I think there is this misconception that to have a minimalist life or a well-organized home, you can never step out of line. It's like yet another freaking knife we hold to our own throats, as Liz Gilbert says. And that's not what this is about. No, these these are anti-perfectionism. And I really wanted to show, I mean, there's a man in Paris. He's the only man in the book. (laughs) I loved him. I love him so much, Julian. Mm -hmm. And he's a zero waster. So everything in his home, for the most part, was thrifted, found in the trash, given to him by somebody. He buys zero things. And he even makes his own deodorant. (laughs) So... I just was so inspired to see the idiosyncrasies of each home and like what their home says about them and their values. And the spectrum of it. Yeah, it's wild, wild spectrum. (laughs) It was such, and that one really stuck with me too, because it made me just thinking about the way I moved through my home or just my possessions, the thought of that kind of creative limit, because sometimes creative limits are what cause the biggest breakthroughs. But the creative limit of literally not purchasing things is really interesting. It's fascinating. And some of the best things in his home, like he was a huge Madonna fan and he had these like old vintage Madonna records and he had literally found them in the gutter. And just on his walks around Paris, picks up the most beautiful little light fixtures. There was a couch (laughs) 
Oh my God. And it's like, if you're attuned and you're looking for it, you'll find it. And so he was one of the more inspiring kind of case studies in this book. There's also the woman who was a total maximalist with 300 pairs of shoes and ended up realizing this stuff is dragging me down and went a hundred percent the other direction and now lives in an Airstream trailer with her husband and owns like three pairs of shoes that fit in one tiny bin. So it's cool to see how people's lives and values are reflected in their homes. One of the questions I had was when you're going around the world doing all the things, what was the home that felt the most different to you where you were like, whoa, this is a different moment? Was it Julianne and his Paris home or who felt the most challenging to your worldview? Yeah, I love that. So probably Nikki Boyd in Mm. Charleston, who I adore and she's so brilliant, but she is in my mind, more of a maximalist. She loves entertaining. There were like entire sets for just like when we go outside, when we're inside, when it's summer. And it worked like no judgment, but it was more just that it was so different. I'm always looking at how can I have less and less and less. And what was cool about her is it came from her value of like, she's the ultimate host and like Southern hospitality. She had an entire touch of things for when people arrived in her home in case they needed slippers or gum or hand sanitizer. Like, oh my God, this woman is prepared for anything. But it was just so diametrically opposed to how my house is. Yeah. Yeah. It was so cool to see. But that's the beauty of this coming from a place of values and joy. And what makes our hearts sing. And actually, I just stayed at the most amazing home I think I've ever stayed in my life when we were doing our East Coast trip for college tours. I stayed at my friends, Vic and Alicia's house. And Alicia is like that. You go into her home and next to the door that was where each of us were staying, they've got this big, beautiful home. There was a little table and it had a bottle of water, some snacks, some salty snacks and some sweet snacks. Cause she said, when you go stay at somebody's house and you're kind of hungry and it's late and you don't know where the pantry is and you feel weird rummaging around. She's like, I just wanted everything to be right for you. Like that kind of detail is so not me. It's not how I'm wired, but my God, the beauty of walking into a home that has been designed and thought of from a place of intention like that. Yeah. Incredible. And I felt so cared for in her home. And I think the cool thing about doing this book is I really tried to just go in kind of as a voyeur and be an observer and learn and be inspired. And so every home, even the ones that were so different from how I live, I took away a little nugget or two that I was like, ooh, I want to be a better host. And I always want to have snacks for my people when they come over. (laughs) That is so true. It's so huge. In fact, that was my next question. What is the one thing that you've added to your lifestyle or strategy, even as an organizer, that you took from that? I mean, I will say of everyone I interviewed, these 25 people, everybody kind of reflected on the value of less. And so that wasn't new for me, but it was really surprising to just see even the people that were more maximal or in huge sprawling homes, everyone kind of through this work and through helping other people navigate through their stuff, everyone had this yearning for just less to manage. 
And the one takeaway that I was like, I'm still kind of chewing on is that so many of these organizers had only one set of linens per bed. Can we talk about that? Because that kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, it blew my mind. And I was like, wait, I thought I was a minimalist, but I have the flannel sheets and I have two to three sets of sheets per bed in my home. And have you noticed how angry you feel folding all of these things? Because you can't remember which ones are freaking queen versus I want to kill. And I, the dreaded, fitted sheet. Like oh, I, shit. I just can't, I've ne- I've watched the videos. I can't. So it was so funny because not just like one or two, but I would say the majority of the people in this book, whether they were minimalist or not said to me, I have one nice set of sheets. They stay on my bed. And once a week I toss them in the wash and then we put them right back on. So there is never folding of sheets. There is never storing of sheets. It blew my mind. my (laughs) God. It's so funny that you said that because I remember reading that and being like, huh, is that a real thing? Like, is that, can I do that? I know it's really made me think and I'm not there yet, but the idea of never folding a sheet again is- It's riveting. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's riveting. And I also am thinking about the homes we grew up in. Like when I think of my husband's mom and when I think about my grandmother- These are women who had entire closets full of linens that rarely, if ever, have gotten used. And what if I am sort of that woman also? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. I know. I mean, I think a lot of it is just starting to like look around your home and question. Like just be like, do we need? Yeah. This guest bedding, like we never have guests. Or just looking at your home through fresh eyes and kind of analyzing these things actually need to be here? Are they adding value to my life or just cluttering up the works? That's it. I want to switch into some on the ground practicalities. When you, people listening, when you get this book, you are going to just fall into a space of expansiveness and amazement at these people and their beautiful homes. And it's not even like, oh, a bunch of rich people with their homes. It's homes of every conceivable size. The New York City studio. Yeah. Three square feet. Hundred square feet. So for those of us like me who don't know a square foot from a mile, 300 square feet would be like the size of a medium. It's like one room. It's basically one room. This room is so freaking cool and crisp and quiet and elevated. Honey, elevated. (laughs) I could not get over it. But once you get the book, you sit with it. The first place your mind goes is how might I get me some of this in whatever form that is? Yes. And sure, if you could see my house, like my living room is very minimalist. The downstairs bath is super minimalist. My bedroom, you would be like, wow, this is minimalist. But this office, my clutter leanings are books, Shira, I get so nervous. Like I get taken with an idea. I don't want to forget it. I put it in a book and you see that desk back there. Yes. My wish is for that desk to be clean, but I'm so afraid if I put away the book that I got the idea from, I'm going to forget it. And if I put it in my Notion app where I track my IDs, I'm going to forget it. And so I leave everything out and I still forget it. And I'm surrounded by clutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do with creatives? Like people like us constantly, we're like, 
I know we're overflowing with ideas. And I think a lot of it is just a mental shift from scarcity to abundance of starting to trust. There are always going to be more ideas. There are always going to be more books. If I forget, if it's important enough, I will remember. If I need to reference it, I always am a library or a bookstore away. I think it's just starting to trust more because I think people who want have that compulsion to just save, save, save just in case, what if it's not rooted in a sense of like expansiveness or abundance. Oh my God. Fear. That's right. I'm saying like, I think the minimalists have some rule that's like the 2020 rule. Like if it costs $20 or less or can be found within 20 miles or less, I can let it go. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Because then you just know it's always going to be possible to find this. As a fellow creative, I have found what works for me is just having one central dumping place for all of the ideas. So I just use the notes app on my phone and I literally have one that says like ideas and it is a hot mess. It is not organized. It's a brain dump. Yeah. But sometimes I'll be like, oh, wait, for that blog post, I wanted to write about this and I'll just do a quick scroll and I'll find that idea or that little nugget. So and I it can be like, huge too, because when you're running dry, you can just go to that hot mess document and something yeah, will surface, something right? Something will pop out at you. So I think it's like having, I say at most one digital landing place and yeah. one paper, like if you're a notebook person, but not like banish the post-its and the scraps of paper and the 9 million articles. Oh, you mean like this? Oh, you mean mean like this? And oh, you mean- There it is. Shira, it's funny. I'm just realizing that it's almost- In fact, this ties something else I wanted to ask you as I was reading your book. I was so moved by the very opening when you talked about being an only child of divorced parents and shuttling back and forth. Sister, me too. Only child, divorced parents. Wow. The shuttling was like trauma, maybe with a lowercase t, maybe with an uppercase t. And because I was very young, I was like four when my parents got divorced and I couldn't read yet. For me, the worst part of the shuttling wasn't the disruption necessarily of space, of my space. It was the utter lack of stimulation. Like when I would go be with my dad he had a bachelor pad. There were no toys there. I didn't have a lot of toys. We didn't have a lot of money and I couldn't read Mm -hmm. and TV was limited. And so for me, oh my God, I'm having like a full on like emotional reaction. My body just talking about it. For me, the trauma was the vast expanse of empty, unfilled time and the boredom. Like the boredom wasn't like, oh, I'm bored. It was hours of open space where there was nothing happening. And I became a hoarder of stimulating ideas because it's all I had until I could read, which was like six and a half or six years old. And then I was like, okay, thank God, at least I have my books. And so when I look around this office, Mm -hmm. there are signs of that trauma, capital T or lowercase everywhere because I am so afraid of the wasteland vibe. God, that's so interesting. And it's so funny how our childhoods inform so much of who we are in our behavior because I almost had the opposite reaction where I was shuttling my stuff back and forth like a Sherpa. My parents, after they split, lived 10 blocks apart but didn't speak to each other. 
Oh, Shira. Wow. Yeah. And so it was really odd. So I was going back and forth every other day and I had duplicates of some things, but not of other things. And so to me, it was like, as a kid, stuff represented this shattering and this divorce and just the stress as a kid of having to remember my belongings. And so I think it wow. felt so oppressive to me, the dragging back and forth of stuff yeah. that really, I think it was like the desire for control was so strong that it was like, well, I don't need stuff. <laughs> wow. So I think my minimalism, honestly, was very informed by that sense of just like craving control and not yes. wanting to be a slave to stuff. Oh my God. How old were you when they split up? I was eight when my parents split up. I was three when they separated and then eight when they officially divorced. Yeah. And the custody schedule was just so stupid. It was like every other Tuesday, this happens and every other, you know, so it was just a lot of like chaos and schlepping stuff back and forth. And then later I discovered in a positive note, my love of travel. And so when I started traveling and this happened, I, my dad remarried. So I now have a brother who Mm -hmm. also loves travel and is a minimalist, oddly enough. And we both kind of found like when you travel, you just don't want to be encumbered by Amen. And so, and I've also moved 25 times in my life. So Uh, that's another one. I think before I was 18 years old, I had moved 17 times. Same. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, Shira, there are two future books I want you to write. Okay. Okay. (laughs) One of them is minimalist, but fabulous travel strategies. And like, I could sit and look at people's luggage gear, unpacked bags, makeup bag. I would buy the shit out of that book. Number one. The other book I want you to write is wardrobe capsule vibes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I have a uniform. I run it all the time now. I didn't used to. I want all that. So those are your assignments. Love it. Okay, (laughs) done and done. Those are truly my favorite topics. So you're aligned. And I do do a lot of like packing videos on my Instagram because I thought who really cares, but those are the most high performing (laughs) videos. I am obsessed. And you just went to Tokyo. Yes. And I saw your wardrobe capsule. Can you just give us your minimalist beliefs about travel and packing? Yeah. So I travel a lot. It's my favorite thing to do. And Mm -hmm. I hate dragging stuff around. So it's really just informed by that. But the question to answer is, what is the least amount of stuff I can get away with and still be comfortable on my trip? And feel beautiful. And feel stylish and fabulous. Exactly. So, I mean, a few quick hacks, like for my Tokyo trip, I flew on this new budget airline, Zip Air, where your luggage has to be 15 pounds or less. And Holy crap. Let me tell you, I thought I was a light packer until I got a luggage scale. Scale, yes. suddenly was like, wait, what? 15 pounds is nothing. And so what I did, luckily I was traveling in the spring, so you can go a little lighter when the weather's nice, but... I was there for a week. I literally did seven lightweight blouses that I roll up and put in a packing cube. So same. Talk about packing cubes, girl. Cubes. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be an advertisement for packing cubes. They just reduce the volume of the things that you're packing by like a million, like magic. What the hell is that? I cannot understand why it is so powerful because I'm one of those people who I stopped checking luggage probably five years ago. I refuse. I absolutely refuse. 
when I've gone to Europe for three weeks, it's always carry on only. And I roll them up tight and I throw them in those packing cubes. It is game changing. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's about compression. I'm no physicist, but (laughs) (laughs) I need like eliminating all of the air and compressing what you have. So I'll do if I'm traveling, my kind of easy formula is like a top a day and then cut the bottoms in half. So, oh my God, that's so good. A top a day, cut the bottoms in half. So like if you're gone for a week, seven tops and then like roughly three bottoms. So like shorts, a skirt and a pair of pants. Or if you're like me and you hate skirts and shorts, three pairs of pants. Um, I never wear shorts. Yeah. And then it's the toiletries where I find people really get derailed because- There's a lot of just in case thinking and bringing like 20 hot tools is very unnecessary when you're traveling. So I say every Airbnb or hotel is going to have shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and a hairdryer. Yeah. So I think like for me, it's like I always bring SBF and then I try Mm -hmm. to find products that do double duty. So like a little thing of coconut oil that can be moisturizer, defrizzing for your hair, cuticle cream, but it's like one product. Amazing. So yeah, just rethinking how much is really enough for this trip. And I think even going so minimal, every trip I've been on, there's something I don't wear. And I'm like, oh, I could have done even less. Yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of the sort of makeup capsule vibe that's happening. Like I have a bunch of Gucci Westman Atelier stuff that's like tiny... You use your fingers, you put it on, you don't even need a brush. Like, I love that stuff. Yes, I do too. But just getting back to the core of what you do in this world, if someone's listening right now, and there's a lot of chaos out there right now between just the macro of everything going on in the world, the news cycle, also just economically, there's so many of us who have lost our jobs or our jobs have radically changed. Yeah. Like, what's one thing people can do to, create a little pocket of minimalism and just start somewhere. You know, I'm always a big fan of the micro win. I think clearing one surface or one drawer or one shelf or even your purse or your wallet, if you want to get really micro. Yes, But it's like, I always say to people, like it's a lot of small wins that create massive transformation. People don't have time to take off two weeks of work and thoughtfully declutter their entire home. But everyone has 15 minutes in their day where they can say, you know what? I'm just going to clear the surface that I sit down and work at. Or like a nightstand is a big one that I say, that is the first thing you're going to see when you wake up. Don't have trash on your nightstand and like old and coffee mugs. Clear it off. It'll take you five minutes and put something beautiful on your surfaces. So I love that. I just think starting super, super tiny and also just asking yourself, one of my favorite kind of questions is just, what do I want less of in my life? And what do I want more of? And I think you can really get clear on those things. One of the reasons I became a minimalist, more hardcore in my 20s is because I clarified I wanted more travel. Mm. And so by wanting more travel, it naturally made sense to have less stuff weighing me down, less stuff to pack, all of that. I have a lot of clients who will say like, I want to have more of a social life. I want to have people over. I want to have a home that I'm not embarrassed to have my kids' friends come over or their parents. So it's like always starting with that clarity of your values and just what you're hungry for 
can really be motivating because I feel like nobody wants to sit on a Saturday and slog through the piles. No. But if you're slogging through the piles in service of a bigger vision for yourself and your life, then it becomes more kind of fiery and energetic and motivating. I love that. And you know what? Also, it's a way of calling your power back. It's like we're spread so freaking thin in these lives of ours, these modern lives. And there's something about just picking one thing and creating some feeling of dominion over that thing. Like I, in fact, it's so funny. I was just talking to this former client of mine. We're going to try and do some more work together. And years ago, she told me that one of her strategies for resetting herself energetically in the middle of a crazy day was to empty her purse out and clean it. And she told me that probably 10 years ago. And I still think of it. And the wallet is even magical too. Like there's something about being like, you know what? God damn it. I may not be able to solve the economy, but I will clean the shit out of this handbag. (laughs) Yes. I will get rid of my gum wrappers. Yes, I will. And I will take that kid's throat lozenge and put it in the freaking trash. I have one more like tactical question. Yeah. Cheryl, I love a cookbook. I have too many of them. I rarely reference them, but I love knowing that they're there. Yeah. All of Gwyneth's cookbooks. I have all the goopy things. Mm -hmm. What do you tell people to do with their cookbooks? Well, it's funny. Cookbooks really bring people joy like nothing else. I don't even enjoy cooking, but I love a good cookbook. I love just flipping through it and beauty. So I think, A, maybe there's no problem. If you love cookbooks, have the cookbooks. I think there's only an issue if the cookbooks are starting to create clutter and distraction or they're literally everywhere where you can't like find anything because you're tripping on cookbooks. But I think when there's a category like that, that you're questioning, having a physical boundary is the easiest way. So if you just say like, I have this one shelf in my kitchen that's perfect for my cookbooks, I will not exceed this shelf. So I will Uh pick my favorites that fit on this shelf. Yeah. I will donate. But otherwise, like if you're just like telling me I love these cookbooks and they make me happy, maybe you don't have to get rid of any cookbooks. That may not be a problem. <laughs> I lo- and actually, the more I think about it, the more is that I love my cookbooks and then my family will set something random on top of the cookbooks that ruins it. That's really yeah. what we're solving. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> we need to solve your family. <laughs> it's really, it's these children. God yes, damn it. Yes, yes, yes. The um, other thing I'll say just in terms yeah. of like a quick win for people listening is to elevate a hidden space in your home. So I think that's one of the other things that can be so easily overlooked. People are always tidying for other people. Oh, people are coming over. I need my dining room to be clear. But what about those hidden spaces like under the kitchen sink or under the bathroom sink or your linen closet that are just for you that like you have to engage with every day? That was one of the things from this book is I was kind of blown away at how lovely an under kitchen sink area can be. (laughs) Even with the weird pipes coming down, I learned like, oh, you can even elevate that. Like you can have beautiful cleaning products and you can put your dishwasher pods in a little glass jar. Oh my (laughs) God, that is so true. Yeah, it sounds kind of silly and trivial, but I think like the effort to do that is like a little wink to yourself of, I matter and I'm worth something. And you know what I mean? Like it just makes you feel good. 
You know what I want to do just that's inspiring me is the cabinet that makes me the most sick to my stomach when I open it is the cabinet with all the freaking Yeti cups and water (laughs) bottles. I hate it. And it makes me so sad. And those are such important receptacles. I'm going to do something to elevate my damn there you go. go cup game. Please do and send me a picture of what you have. I'm going to do a before and after. It's going to be amazing. I love that so much. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, so Cheryl, when does the book officially get sent out? Yeah, so the new book, Organized Living, is officially out October 3rd. Okay. I don't know when this is airing. It is available for pre-order now. Guys, pre-order this book. Pre-order this book, pre-order this book. I already ordered it. I have Minimalista. If you're like me to fix right this freaking second, go by Minimalista, follow it chapter and verse or pick it up in a random page. It really doesn't matter. It's just amazing. <laughs> but pre-order is everything. Am I right, Shira? Like it, it makes a big difference for authors. And then you'll know that you can get it on Pub Day. It'll be waiting for you in your mailbox. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And good luck with everything, Shira. This is going to be a massive success. It's just an awesome book. Thank you so much. This was such a blast. Hey, if you haven't already, hit subscribe so you can get my latest podcast episodes delivered hot off the press or share this with someone who could use it. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe and get on that newsletter. You get fresh tips every Monday morning to set you up for the week. And on the last Saturday of the month, you'll get a short email with my favorite things that I'm into. If you're dealing with a tough client or work situation, you need better skills for managing hard conversations, check out my No Enemy Conversation course. It's at noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com and it is self-paced and it is all there for you. Lastly, If your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds, virtually or in real life, I am your gal. I have two dozen different fantastic keynote topics, and you and I, we can make something killer happen. So shoot me a note, and let's do it. That's Bronwyn at BronwynCommunications.com. Take care and shine on. We need your light.